You are listening to a podcast from The National. Independence is one of those words that we like to throw around when it comes to defining basic human rights. The right to self-determination is not only the core upon which we gauge those rights, but it's considered one of the fundamental freedoms the United Nations outlines as necessary to all mankind. So why is it that when people look to exercise that freedom, it's almost universally met with resistance? This is Beyond the Headlines, and I'm Nasr al-Wesmi. This week, we are witnessing the fracturing of two countries trying to become four. In Iraq, the long-held dream of the Kurdish population is now close to being realized as a referendum seeking independence has passed. We are not the source of the problem. The problem is from the Iraqi government. We had to make a decision for our future, and this is our right. Just like Turkey and Iran, we have the right to have our own land. In Catalonia, the northeastern part of Spain, which comprises Barcelona, Spain's second largest city, the people are demanding that the entire region become its own independent state. The exterior image of the Spanish state keeps getting worse, and today they've reached embarrassing levels that will always be remembered. Both attempts to achieve self-determination are condemned from both local populations and, surprisingly, the international community, with countries like America opposing it. Opposing freedom, the very foundation the United States is built on. However, the question isn't a matter of if, but when. The U.S. is saying that now is not the time, but then again, is it ever? Both calls for independence have divided opinions around the world. We'll start off with Iraq, and then later we'll get to Catalonia. I'm joined by Mina El-Durubi, a reporter here at The National who's been covering the referendum in Kurdistan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So what exactly happened in Iraq this week? Uh, Is the call for independence legitimate? They voted yes. So does that mean the independence goes into effect? Well, um, after a century of yearning, the Kurds of Iraq have managed at last to pull off a vote for independence, but without antagonizing nearly everyone in the international community. So on Monday, the 25th of September, the Iraqi Kurds went to the polls to vote on whether or not they want to separate from Baghdad's central government. And the results showed that 92% of Iraq's Kurds are actually in favor of separation. While the referendum will boost calls for Kurdish independence from Iraq, the vote actually has no legal mandate. So Iraqi Kurdish President Mas'ud Barazani, who led the independence drive, has reassured the international community that the referendum is non-binding and is meant to provide his administration with a legal mandate to negotiate succession of Kurdish-controlled regions from, of Iraq from Baghdad. However, Baghdad's central government has repeatedly rejected the poll, describing it as illegal and and unconstitutional. Um, And they actually said that in order for us to negotiate with Erbil, the capital of the Kurdistan's regional um, government, uh, the Kurdish government must reject or cancel the 92% uh, results, the result of the vote. And Iraq's neighboring countries, Iran and Turkey, both fear the vote will ignite separatist aspirations among their own Kurdish minorities. So there's a widespread fear among the international community that a yes vote will unleash an unstoppable momentum in the push for independence Mm. that will eventually lead to bloodshed. So, you know, 
in conclusion, the vote is just a signal and a statement of intent that Kurdish leaders plan to pursue independence. And they're only going to be opening talks with the uh, with the Baghdad regional, regional government. Uh, but there's no timeline and the vote doesn't trigger any moves for independence in the meantime. But it does indicate a desire to be free in its own country, right? I mean, it seems like a lot of the uh, holdups here are happening because of differences in logistics or uh, bureaucratic progressions. So, I mean, Iraqi Kurds want to be an independent country. They want to be their own state. So how does Iraq, how does Baghdad react to this? So the Kurdish, uh, Kurdish officials believe that a yes vote will send the message that Baghdad cannot ignore, paving the way for negotiations aimed at a peaceful exit. But Iraqi government officials maintain just the opposite, that the referendum will push the two sides further apart, making it even more difficult to resolve long-standing disputes. The Kurdistan regional government has long been at odds with Baghdad over disputed territories like the oil-rich city of Kirkuk, which are controlled by the Kurdish forces, but are outside of the Kurdistan autonomous zone and are claimed by Baghdad as as a part of the Iraqi uh, country. Both sides have also argued over the sharing of oil revenues, while with the Kurds exporting oil through um, a Turkish pipeline over the objection from Baghdad. So both sides have been in long disputes, and you know this is this is what one of the main fears that the vote will ignite further disputes and destabilization in the country. I'm going to push a little bit on this. This is a people who consider themselves completely different from Arabs. Uh, completely different from Iraqis as well. So isn't it their right to decide if they want to be governed by their own people? Isn't a country's right to self-determination a a basic human right? Yes, you're right. It is is a basic human right. But the Iraqi public um, has been indeed united on the fact that they don't want to, they don't want their country to separate. And they have rejected this, um, the referendum in a way and it's hard to see a region as a whole that it's hard to see a region that has been so destabilized in the last century um people feel people fear that this vote will destabilize the region even more and it's un in, in unimaginable ways um there is also fear that the vote will lead to clashes in disputed areas, like I mentioned, as Kirkuk between Peshmerga troops, which are the Kurdish forces, uh, and Shiite and Sunni Arab tribes, and such clashes. And also, the clashes will distract from Iraq's forces um, from their fight against ISIL too, which right. is yeah. Yeah, it feels like uh, that's that's the problem here is that the timing is off. It's not that the uh, the independence, the call for independence, is the problem, but you know, uh, Iraq, and he's mentioned Peshmerga, and they joined forces with Sunnis, Shiites, the army, you know, militias, all to purge Iraq from uh, ISIS. So the question becomes, uh, this referendum, I mean, what does that mean for uh, the fight against ISIS? How could it reflect uh, negatively on that? So um, although the vote was held peacefully, the majority of predictions indicate that the next coming days could actually escalate, uh, bring es- escalated unrest as the Kurds press ahead towards independence. Now, for the fight against ISIL, this will provide an opportunity for the extremist group to conduct bombings and to conduct um, other attacks across the country. 
um, the United States, Russia, the United Kingdom and the United Nations were among the major international powers that argued that the Kurdistan regional government needs to consider or postpone the event. Um, they want they want to ensure that um, that they want to avoid a prospect of having another conflict between Baghdad and the Kurdish government while they're fighting against ISIL. Um, and additionally, uh, Baghd- Iraq's neighboring countries, Iran and uh, Turkey, are worried that a Kurdish state would encourage their own Kurdish population to try to break away, again causing further instability in their region. Um, so th- the question... I guess the question on everyone's mind is it's not a secret that, you know, Iraqi Kurdistan has been wanting independence. It's been so for decades. But why now? Why why are they pushing for it so aggressively, more aggressively than they ever have before, even despite the international communities uh, condemning it? So the question is, why why now? Um, I think the Kurdish government, uh, for a hundred years, they've been yearning for independence. And they feel as though if they wait another hundred years, um, more violence and oppression could be could be inflicted upon them. So they feel that right now is the perfect timing. Also, Iraq is sort of going through a post-ISIL phase, the Iraqi government and Baghdad central government. And the Kurdish government feels that they need to have their independence as a leverage for them to be at the negotiating table when ISIL is is defeated in Iraq. So they're using it as a way to sort of get in, um, a way to maintain their power and to maintain their voice in the international region. And they actually have done that because you've got from the United States to so many the international community as a whole have been speaking about the Kurds. They now know what they are, their history, and what's going to happen to them. So in a way, they feel that right now the timing in Iraq is the best for them. Mina, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Now we move to Catalonia, where over the weekend, Catalans voted overwhelmingly to secede from Spain. Madrid has, of course condemn that decision. At this hour, I can tell you in the strongest terms what you already know and what we have seen throughout this day. There has not been a referendum on self-determination in Catalonia today. Richard Ferraris is in Barcelona covering the Catalonian push for independence, and today he couldn't get to work because of a region-wide strike. Richard, this isn't a new story. It seems that Almost every year, the Catalonians take to the streets to protest and look for independence. But what makes this year any different? Well, you know, the, the Catalan historical bid for independence and their identity as a people goes back centuries. Um, we've seen um, a, a growing momentum. Some of it is, is based on external factors, which is the recent financial crisis which um, the Catalans blamed on the Spanish central government. They feel that the situation might have been somewhat improved had they uh, had more autonomy. Uh, the government of, of Puigdemont, the current premier of Catalonia, has really built on the momentum from previous governments and seems to be tapping into... Uh, this growing sort of uh, popular 
discontent that you see in the West. And for Catalonia, I think it's, it gains extra momentum because they do consider themselves to be um, a unique people with, of course, their own language and with certain cultural affinities that they, and which are, to be fair, distinct from the Spanish. Uh, I mean, you kind of touched on the grievances, but it seems that the actual reasons have evolved. I mean, why do they want to secede now? Uh, and inversely, why is Spain so keen on keeping Catalonia as part of its territory? Why not just let it go? Yeah. I mean, there's always an economic element to that type of question. And Catalonia provides about 20% of Spain's GDP. So there'd be a, a significant economic impact if there, if there were to be secession. At the same time, the 1978 Constitution makes it very clear that the current way that Spain is constituted with several regional governments with some autonomy, the, the Constitution is clear that that um, union cannot be dissolved. And uh, that is, a, it is an idea that that's something of a hangover from the Franco era. Uh, so despite having some autonomy, the Catalans are not happy. They don't think it's enough. They point again to, to some economic issues where other autonomous regions in the north have more freedom in how they are able to spend the taxes that are collected in their regions, whereas the Catalans, their taxes go to the central government. They can't spend them as they wish immediately. It first goes to the central government, which then disperses the money back to the Catalans who can then decide, shall we spend this on schools or education, etc. Well, actually, before the show, you were telling me that you weren't able to uh, get to work because of a strike. So, a strike that's happening in Barcelona. And I just wanted to know, is this likely to erupt into uh, anything more than a call? I mean, can we see in, can we see the riots intensifying or can we see uh, a violence break out on the streets? Um, I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm walking through central Barcelona now. I just crossed La Rambla, which was the scene of the terrorist attack in August. Uh, it's pretty quiet. I mean, there's some community traffic. There's some... Catalans dra draped in the Catalan flag. But I, I think, you know, after the events that happened on the weekend, it's pretty clear from the Catalans' point of view that they want a, a peaceful end to this crisis. They, Puigdemont, the premier, has already spoken about the need for mediation. The Spanish prime minister is also, I think, going to um, address the parliament or the cabinet on the 10th of October. So I think uh, from the, the political leadership on both sides, we're seeing some restraint. We're seeing, we're seeing them just take a pause, let nothing escalate, let nothing crazy happen too quickly. Um, and, you know, this is, this is even from Pujiman's point of view, he's had to back down from his initial declaration from before the referendum where he stated that they would declare independence within 48 hours of a yes vote. Um, 
So no, I I I, I don't I don't expect um, an intensification. There there are probably going to be some demonstrations today, um, but I, I don't think I think the Catalans will be given the space to mm. to exercise their their free speech. And what what does the rest of Europe think of this move? Uh, yes, the, the European Commission is so the EU is being very clear that they they wish um, for the Spanish Constitution to be respected. Uh, they've also called for dialogue. Uh, what what was noteworthy from a statement that the EU released on Monday. They, they did criticize the, the referendum as being illegal, but also said, went on to say that had it been a legal referendum, Catalonia would not be uh, immediately allowed to, to join the EU. So, you know, that's, uh, the, the EU is, is quite clear on the matter, in fact, and uh, as it stands, I think, Pujamans and, and the Catalans, they run the risk of not only leaving Spain, but also leaving the orbit of the European Union. And, and obviously, uh, that would be, that would have some disastrous economic consequences. Uh, you only need to look towards Brexit to see what the danger, what the dangers are of that, of that kind of tactic. Well, also looking elsewhere, I mean, we have something very similar happening here in the region with the uh, Iraqi Kurds in the north. So I was going to ask you, do, do you think this is part of a larger trend around the world? It almost feel like, uh, feels like the earth is shrinking. Uh, countries are beginning to look increasingly inwards as opposed to developing a, like an international worldview. So, I mean, in your opinion, can we expect more countries to be created in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I I think part of it stems from, you know, what, what you would learn in, in university about the nation state as, as a concept. It's a fairly new concept. And, you know, you can make various arguments to say that in a more connected world, um, a world of multiplicity, multiple voices, multiple peoples, etc., maybe a nation state isn't the best way to, to organize. Um, the paradox there is that the Kurds and the Catalans, the Scots, even some, some Welsh people think that reorganizing into their own nation state could be the solution. Uh, I'm not sure there's any kind of um, moment globally where all of these moments are connected. I would say that the, the Scottish government has been watching very closely what's happening in Catalonia, and there are some shared values, but I, I think it can be a bit reductive to to make straight comparisons, not least because Scotland relies heavily on the British state for disbursement, um, whereas Catalonia is a net contributor to the Spanish economy. So it can be uh, it can be a little bit misleading to to make these these types of uh, comparisons, but uh, for sure the the Kurds and and the Catalans, they they have uh, similar things going for them. Uh, the Kurds have have the oil. Um, they also feel emboldened by the recent fights against 
uh, Islamic State. Um, and it, as I mentioned a bit earlier, I think what you tend to see with, with these secessionist movements is they tend to gain momentum on the back of external factors. So for the Scots, it was a financial crisis and then Brexit. For the Catalans, it was a financial crisis. For the Kurds, it was probably the larger Arab uprising and then the battle against the Islamic State. All right, Richard, thank you for joining us. Okay, great. Thanks for having me. A bit closer to home in the UAE, a new law will see for the first time in the region an excise tax aimed directly at urging consumers to make more health-conscious decisions. The tax includes a 100% hike on both cigarettes and energy drinks and a 50% tax on soft drinks. This is probably a precursor for more moves of its kind in the future. Although this is aimed at making residents healthier, over the weekend we saw smokers line up, buy cigarettes in bulk, to avoid the price hike. Roberta Pennington covered that, and we're joined by her today. Thanks for having me, Nasser. So tell me exactly what what, what happened. I mean, it, it was 100% tax, is that it? Uh, it was 100% tax if you are a smoker or if you buy tobacco products. It's 100% tax if you drink energy drinks, but it's 50% if you stick to soft drinks. Um, and that pretty much covers the, the three areas mm-hmm. that were affected mm-hmm. starting today. Mm-hmm. And so and so uh, the, the tax, basically, I imagine that a bunch of people were running to the stores to kind of stockpile up on, on cigarettes. Uh, you, you wrote a story about that, right? To be honest with you, we were receiving reports on social media that shelves were empty. And I was a little bit skeptical. But when I went out on uh, Saturday... That was the day before the taxes actually took effect. It was true. <laughs> you went into the bakalas, you went into the, the smoke shops, and indeed the shelves were empty. And that's because not people weren't stocking up that day, but they had spent the last two weeks going in, buying in bulk. So customers were buying packs of 10 um, or boxes of 10 packs of cigarettes mm. for, uh, let's say, 100 dirhams because obviously they would double to 200 beginning Sunday. Right, and th- this kind of defeats the whole purpose of, of something like this. And I mean, usually you have people who are a, a, a pack-a-day people. So how how much of this stockpile will last before they actually feel the hit? I mean, how many can you buy? Was, were stores implementing any sort of like uh, limits on how much you could buy? Oh, the impact was was felt right away, actually, because as I said, when I, when I visited the stores on Saturday, already they had to restrict the amount that they were selling to the customers. Mm-hmm. So people were coming in asking to buy a box of cigarettes, but they could only actually buy one pack, or in many cases, they couldn't buy their favorite brands because it had been sold out right. days before. So some stores also mentioned that um, the supplier had even run out or was withholding it, if you were to believe the conspiracy theorists. So um, I'm not quite sure what happened there, but I I did actually visit a couple stores today, and they still hadn't received their new supplies for some brands. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, to put it in perspective, I mean, what was a 10 dirham pack of cigarettes is now 20 dirhams, and 20 dirhams is roughly five American dollars, little less than four pounds. This is still pretty cheap by international standards, right? This is true. I mean, this is cheap by international standards, but people here have been used to paying 10 dirhams for a pack. But again, you're mentioning the 10 dirhams for a pack. That's the expensive brand. Mm-hmm. So Marble goes for 10, 10 mm-hmm. dirhams. But you can get some of the less expensive brands for, I think, 
three dirhams or even less. I think there's one for one fifty. So I mean, you could switch to a, a less expensive brand, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, elsewhere in the world, it's a lot more expensive. In, in fact, I used to smoke when I was younger, mm. and Canada that they did the same thing. They raised the prices on cigarettes, and I thought I'm literally burning my finances with each cigarette that I smoke, and I couldn't justify paying like ten dollars for a pack of cigarettes anymore. So I I quit. It actually worked. I quit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's the idea with the uh, tax here. So. Do you think it might work here? In your That's opinion? the thing. I, I did speak with a lot of the shoppers who were looking for their favorite brands. And I said, well, you know, it's going to be 20 dirhams tomorrow or 200 if you end up buying the box. Is that going to make you quit? And they mostly said that, no, they didn't think it was going to make them quit. They've been smoking their whole lives. And it might potentially just get him get them to smoke less, obviously, mm-hmm. during the day. Instead of smoking a pack a day, one guy said he would smoke four or five or something. So we'll see how that goes. This is probably just the first. The first. This is probably just the first step in uh, what might be, you know, hiking up the prices in the future, right? Because what is a hundred percent tax now could this is this opens the door to hiking the price up even more, and there must be a breaking point at some at some level, right? Uh, and especially with Coke, with Coke, it's it's a bit less uh, intense. It's a fifty percent tax. Coke was already uh, pretty cheap, so. These, all these taxes are aimed at making a more uh, health-conscious populace. Is that right? That's exactly right, yeah. Okay. Actually, you, you bring up Coke and Red Bull. I was at Lulu Express, and there was actually one customer, and he had a cart full of <laughs> Red Bull and soft drinks, and he was just standing there staring at the shelves, <laughs> you know, just imagining. And, and he was we were talking about it, and he was just imagining that he couldn't believe that the prices were really going to go up. Mm-hmm. He apparently drinks one Red Bull a day. So, <laughs> but, but he said, you know, Yes, doubling the price of Red Bull will probably persuade him to cut down on that drink for sure. Um, but you're right. I mean, these prices will continue to go up as long as there is the demand from customers to pay for it, right? What that breaking point will be, <laughs> we've yet to find out. But but yeah, like like I said, they, they said it's not going to make anyone quit smoking at this point, maybe cut down a little bit. So what, what the breaking point will be, we've yet to discover I'd like to thank my guests, Mina Al-Durubi, Richard Ferrares, and Roberta Pennington for joining me on the show. I'd also like to thank Kevin Jeffers for producing and editing. You can find this and all the other national podcasts on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Thank you for listening and goodbye.